giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is founder and CEO of Happity, Sarah Tateno. Sarah, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. So uh, what is Happity? So Happity is a platform helping new parents find and book classes for their children. And we're currently focused on the under fives market. So where are you at now with Happity? We are currently still in beta testing in Southeast London. Uh, it's a public beta test. We've currently got about 8,000 monthly users on the site and we're working on building out the booking side of the platform. Is it just activities for your children or is it activities for you as a parent too? Uh, yes, we definitely cover activities for you as a parent too. That's certainly a, a trend that we've seen growing in the market. So increasingly, there's a lot of yeah. activities aimed at uh, mothers where you can bring your baby along. Yeah. I find from my experience and my wife's experience that, you know, when you have a baby, <laughs> they mostly just lay there. <laughs> and so the parents groups, the moms groups are just as much for us as they are for the kids at that point. Yeah, certainly in the early stages, I'd say it's more so for the parents than it is for the babies. But when they when they start having their first smiles, I think, you know, you go to those classes, you get free giggles, basically. Um, and yeah. it, bring, it brings a lot of joy for, for parents who might be having quite a tough time. But yeah, I mean, there's an awful lot of new, exciting classes that have started up. And um, so we're seeing things like comedy clubs for parents, <laughs> uh, knitting classes where you can bring your baby and even coding schools where you can bring your child along. And that is, in fact, where I discovered coding myself. So how long have you been working on Happily? So I actually had the idea when I was pregnant um, with my second child. Um, so that was nearly three years ago now. Um, mm -hmm. But at that point in time, I, I didn't have any technical experience whatsoever. I mean, I was, I was literally at the stage where I didn't know how to set up a website or buy a URL. I didn't know that a URL was different from hosting. Um, so, and clearly being extremely pregnant, I wasn't really in a position to start working on it either. So it's taken quite some time to actually start uh, start on the project. Um, to begin with, I didn't necessarily know that I was going to start a startup. Yeah. What were you doing at the time? Uh, I used to work at the BBC. So I was working at Radio 1 at the time on special projects. I'd, I'd just been working on the launch of their iPlayer channel. It was mm -hmm. the, the first time that the BBC had put a channel on the iPlayer that wasn't broadcast on TV. Um, so it was a bit of a pathfinder project. But my, my background before that, I mean, I worked for years in management consulting. I worked in corporate strategy. And then I was just doing a bit more of an operational role uh, at Radio 1 and experiencing um, what it's like to be in a, in a fully integrated team. You know, I was sitting next to the marketing team, the press team, the developers. Uh, we were all in, in one pretty small site together. Did you like that? Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, such an experience. It strikes me that, you know, there's a reason why companies do that, and that's to increase collaboration, but also to make things seem smaller and more like a startup. And maybe that was where you got that taste of wanting to do something like that, do you think? Yeah, I'd say that's definitely true, particularly in a place like Radio 1 and 1 Extra, because the two, the two networks are based together. But certainly in that environment, there's a very strong identity and culture 
around those particular radio stations. They're often perceived as a slightly naughty child uh, within, <laughs> within the BBC who are willing to push the boat out and do something a little bit more different and exciting. One of the things that I did in my last year at Radio 1 was to launch our very first commercial license. So we did uh, the Essential Mix. Have you guys heard of the Essential Mix? I haven't. <laughs> okay, but it's, it's an international dance brand. It's a mm. bit, it's a big brand, but we, you know, we were doing something quite new with it that that no one in the BBC had done before. So you mentioned you um, went to coding school mm-hmm. and had the idea for Happity and taught yourself to be able to build it. Uh, well, I, I learnt to code at the yeah. <laughs> at the boot camp, so you could say I taught myself. But I did, I did certainly um, need to go to a boot camp to get there. I think the idea of learning to code in in twelve weeks is slightly crazy. There's an awful lot to learn, but you can certainly learn how to learn to code in twelve mm-hmm. weeks. In retrospect, do you think that that was the only path you could have taken to Happity, or was it just the happy path that you took? <laughs> Certainly not. I mean, I I did it for a number of personal reasons. I've I've always been interested in coding, but it wasn't something that I considered when I was going to university as a possible path. But when I look back on my life, actually, as a teenager, I, I dabbled quite a lot with building websites in HTML. And that was something I did in my free time and just explored, but just hadn't touched again since being a teenager. So, you know, when I had the opportunity to go to a introductory coding school whilst on maternity leave, so I, I went to something called Mums in Technology in London. It was a pilot program at the time. My son was about three or four months old. And just got a little taste for it. And I, I realized that there's an awful lot happening in the tech industry. I felt like I was ready for a change, that I was interested in getting into the sector. And so when I found out about the coding boot camp that, you know, I could potentially learn to code in such a short period of time, and it happened to coincide perfectly with my husband's shared parental leave, mm-hmm. it just seemed like it was the right thing to do. Um, and I'm really glad that I did it. So coming out of the coding school, what were those early days of Happity like for you? So when I left the coding bootcamp, it was Makers Academy. I had actually had a number of other ideas for for startups at the time, um, but this one seemed like it had the best potential. My son was still pretty young. He was about eight months old when I finished, and I didn't have childcare for him. So I was sort of dabbling, working on it in my spare time. Well, I didn't have much spare time. Um, mm-hmm. And borrowing a bit of help from the grandparents so that I could start working on it. And so those early days, it was quite part-time. It was a little bit like, oh, I don't know if this is a serious thing yet. And it started to come together. I was getting quite a lot of interest from parents. So I'd set up a Facebook page. I'd started a Google spreadsheet that was basically an MVP for, mm-hmm. for the project. Mm-hmm. People were visiting that. It was it was a Google spreadsheet embedded on a WordPress site. It was based on a single postcode. They were updating the spreadsheet and I was getting people signed up to a mailing list. So it looked like the project had legs. And eventually I, I thought, actually, I'm going to go for this. Managed to find somebody to help me design something um, because Mm -hmm. design is really not my strong point and then I committed put my son into nursery and then was able to to start working on the project 
pretty much full time, but whilst still doing all of the school runs and looking after my children at the same time. I imagine that was difficult. And it still is. <laughs> yeah. So how were you funding things at that point? So in, at the early stages, I didn't really need any funding. I was mm-hmm. just working on it myself. And, you know, as I said, I'd, I'd found a, uh, another mum actually through through my daughter's school who had previously been a creative director and had a lot of experience with human interaction and design. And she was really interested in the project and wanted wanted to help me. So that's how I got started. And we got it to a point where I was able to secure angel investment um, whilst we were, were building it out. Mm-hmm. Where did you find those angels? So I, I knew that I was going to need to raise investment if this was really going to take off. And so before I thought I would raise investment, I just reached out to my personal network. I, I basically sent an email to everybody I've ever met <laughs> and said, <laughs> this is what I'm working on. This is why I think I'm going to need to raise some money. If you know any angel investors or you know anything about this area, I'd love to meet for a coffee. Um, and it just so happened that there were actually a few people who'd been following what I'd been doing through my just general Facebook posts um, and were interested. They were interested in investing. So it all came about like that. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. it actually came about much sooner than I thought it would. Yeah. And you hired a development company to work with you, right? Yeah. So I was actually working with a, an agency called Happy Bear Software. They're a mm-hmm. Rails agency in London, but they're based remotely. And actually, I had I had applied for a job there when I'd first graduated from Makers <laughs> Academy. And that's how I knew about them and how I um, knew the founder. I'd reached out to him for help as I'd been building the alpha version of my site, saying mm-hmm. I need some mentoring and help with how do I architect this thing? I, you know, I have very limited experience, um, certainly don't know how to, to put together complicated databases or, or write fast queries. Mm-hmm. And um, he'd got interested in the project and wanted to help me with it too. So through him, he actually helped me get it from where I'd got it to and help me get it production ready. And it was at that point where I, I was, at the same time I was raising the investment, I was then able to pay to get that additional help. We always tell people that we work with and, and people in the community, you can't just build a website and mm-hmm. put it online mm-hmm. and expect it to be successful. There's so much more involved. For your business and, and for Happity, what were the other things that you needed to do in order to get things off the ground? So Facebook was a big channel to get us started because mm-hmm. there's an awful lot of mums on Facebook and free mum groups that you can post in. I had a reasonable number of people who had pre-registered for the site. We did a, a closed alpha test with about 100 people before we made it public. They then helped spread the word once we did launch. Um, and from there, it took off very quickly. So within a, a month or so, I think we were around 2,000 users. And you're just in a pretty small portion of London right now. Yes, right? yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when you say 2,000 users and now you said, I think, 8,000? Yeah, so when we launched, we were literally in four postcodes of southeast London, so a very small <laughs> radius yeah. of coverage. And now we've got good coverage across south London, and we're now spreading out across the rest of London to launch London-wide. 
what does spreading out mean for you in terms of what work is involved in in actually doing that? So when we started, it was a very manual process. Obviously, it was t- it was a really small scale. We just contacted a load of providers and said, "Hey, this is what we're doing." We put them on the system. And um, now we're at the stage where we are reaching out and getting the providers to come to us, and we're getting mm-hmm. we're getting providers finding us organically and through word of mouth. So you know they're finding us on Google now, and then they'll register their details. So for us now, it's it's really just about a marketing push to say, "Yep, we're taking listings all over London, and we want mm-hmm. to service that area." Is that scalable? Will you just be able to continue to do that and then be all over the world? <laughs> or do you really need to go geographic area by geographic area? Um, I think it's important to go geographic by geographical area to some extent in that users coming to a site with very few listings will have a poor user experience. I think mm-hmm. it is important that we have a, a certain density of coverage in the areas that we service for us to have that really good network effect between both the providers and the end users. Are you at a goal setter? Are you a person who sets goals? I am now. <laughs> you are now. So what are some of the goals that you have then? So we actually, as a team, we have a roadmap for the year and we have quarterly goals and monthly goals as well. And this has been sort of something that I've really been trying to drive since the new year. I've even got a Trig Life Mapper diary, Mm -hmm. which is very much, you know, set your weekly goals for your life, your work, your relationships, and all the rest of it. Um, But yeah, I mean, the goal that we're working towards at the moment is actually getting the booking side of our system up and running. You know, we've proven that we can attract um, the users and the class providers organically, and that our our class providers are tremendously engaged. We had around 50% of them on the site in January, updating their listings, confirming them. So, you know, that side of things is working really well now. And now we think the next step is is to be taking the bookings through the platform. Hmm. Will you charge for that? Yes. <laughs> so the everything is free right now, right? Uh, so to list on the site is free. To use the site is free. We charge the class providers for promoting their listings. So okay. they can do something quite similar to, say, a Google search to appear at the top of a matching hmm. search result. So is taking bookings your goal of primarily making money that way? In the future? That is our primary goal now. <laughs> yeah. And then there is a long list of other ways we plan to monetize thereafter. Mm-hmm. So you, know, you said you, you have a 2018 plan. Mm-hmm. Does that 2018 plan take you beyond London? Yes. So by the okay. end of the year, I'd expect us to be launching um, across the UK. And I think what we'll be doing with that is picking off certain areas to begin with mm-hmm. and then getting to a point where we're able to say we're nationwide. So what does your team look like now? So we are a somewhat motley crew <laughs> um, where I have a couple of freelancers where we're able to, you know, freelancers are brilliant because you're able to access specialist skills without mm-hmm. taking a full-time employee. And what are those freelancers doing? Uh, UX and UI design. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've used other help more ad hoc. So, for example, I've just found somebody to help me with some copywriting. But at this point in time, it's not so much about building a big team as proving a business model that's really working, mm-hmm. making sure that our unit 
economics look sound and then we can raise a bigger round. Where do you need the most help? Um, so we're just about to bring on a, a developer who will be pretty much full time over the mm -hmm. next few months. But yeah, certainly because in the early days I was doing a lot of the coding and yeah. now I can do less of that um, <laughs> as other things become more busy. So certainly getting somebody on board who is fully takes on the, the technical side of the business. Okay. Have you found that person? I hope so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it sounds like you're talking to someone right now. I am indeed. So I've just been recruiting. Okay. Well, hopefully that works out. What do you think the next person you're going to need to add to the team is? It's probably going to be on the, the marketing side, actually. So, so at the mm -hmm. moment, the person that I've recruited is, is very much a hands-on developer as we, we need to prove something that works before we can mm -hmm. raise our next round. Then once we do that, we will need to build out the technical team further. And I would also see us bringing on, on board somebody who has the marketing experience to help us scale mm -hmm. across the country. Do you have to visit the class providers in person? I do do that, but that's because I, I have a two-year-old to entertain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say that's a completely essential part, but it, it certainly helps that I'm very familiar <laughs> with, with the yeah. uh, with the market for kids' activities. And my my eldest is six, so I've also started experiencing. Okay, what's this like for, for older age groups as well? Mm -hmm. And it's still mm -hmm. hard to find the things that you want to find. So it sounds like this isn't a sales intensive thing. You're not having to sell too much to the providers to get them on the platform. No, it's quite the opposite. They, they find us. They yeah. find you yeah. and it's pretty self-service. That's really good because yeah. it strikes me if it was not, then that would be much harder to grow, particularly outside of London where you live or outside of the UK eventually, having to have local salespeople in all of those places, visiting providers, signing them up and everything would be really intensive. It would change it for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's really what the, the last six months has, has been about in this beta testing stage. It's been, have we got a platform here that works? Um, everybody knows that two-sided marketplace is incredibly mm -hmm. difficult. And, you know, essentially we're at a place now where we don't have to think too hard, certainly not on the user side. We don't really have to think about marketing to the end users. We're now just focusing on how do we get providers on board. And, you know, we've got a nice steady stream of them finding us. Mm -hmm. So now it's just, you know, testing channels to see how we can accelerate that. You said everyone knows a two-sided marketplace is hard, but actually I feel like people who are coming at it from a place of not knowing that mm. think that it's easier because it's like, oh, I have two sides. They'll drive each other or something. Mm. But so where did you learn that? Are there sources that you're pulling upon to say, oh, I have a two-sided marketplace. I'm doing research. I'm learning about this. So in the early stages, it was just talking to other founders and entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Last year, I joined uh, Ignite Accelerator in the UK, which is a, you know, they've actually recently switched to a distributed model. So one of the great benefits is that I can be on a, an accelerator and I don't have to relocate. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of it remotely and there's a lot of su support and mentoring through that program. There's also an awful lot of alumni who, who have experience of running two-sided marketplaces and of course mm -hmm. of course the investors and mentors as well how much help do your investors give you are they involved a lot or 
not too much not too much to be honest mm-hmm. yeah not not overly and i think you want people who are supportive and, and help you along but aren't going to control and dictate mm-hmm. how you run the business so i think it's it's good to have a balance how often do you give them updates and provide them with information um i actually send out weekly updates to not just my investors but um all the mentors and contacts of people who are interested in, in following the journey. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I found that a really good way of being able to ask for help on whatever it is mm-hmm. that I'm working on that week. And um, it also keeps me accountable and helps me clarify exactly what I need to achieve each week. That's great. Did you start doing that on your own or did someone give you that idea? Uh, Ignite. They tell everybody to do that as soon as they start on the yeah. program. But I mean, you know, you don't need to be in an accelerator to do that. You should just do that. I think myself included would find that difficult to really make sure that I prioritize that every mm-hmm. week. Yeah, it's, it is <laughs> it is hard <laughs> to prioritize it every week, but it's important. And I get mm-hmm. amazing feedback from doing it. And sometimes you get really surprising people helping you um, on things that you didn't realize they knew about. So you have successfully recruited or hopefully successfully recruited a developer to join you. Um, where are you feeling like, you know, I don't know how to solve this problem or this is this is my next big challenge and I'm worried about it? Um, I'm currently feeling like I'm in a pretty good place of knowing exactly what it is I want to achieve, um, where I want to take mm-hmm. the business. And, you know, we've had great feedback from our customers We've got a list of people who are interested in our product that we haven't built yet. So it really feels like we're in a place now where we just need to execute it and show Mm -hmm. that what we think is going to work really does work. In terms of long-term goal setting, Mm -hmm. are you out to like conquer the world and be all over? Or are you trying to create a business that works for you and provides for you and your family? And, you know, if it ends up just being in the UK, that's totally okay. I think even if it ends up just being in the UK, it could be pretty massive mm-hmm. because the market for under fives is about 2 billion. And then if you go up to under 10s, yeah. it's like an extra 10 billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I certainly see opportunities beyond that. But I think it's a case of focusing on one thing at a time and seeing what the opportunities are at the time that we're there. Um, it might be that we decide that we want to expand into other other countries if, if the timing's right. But there's also a, a lot of potential ways to diversify. You know, and there, there are a lot of services that aren't really there yet for new parents, particularly when it comes to technology. Um, I mean, parent tech is, is an area that's seeing a lot of activity at the moment, um, quite a lot of investment in the last year. I think they said, I think there was a report came out that said, um, 2017 had reached a, a peak for investment in the parenting sector. So I I think that the goal of expanding worldwide is not necessarily something that we need to be aiming for right now at this particular moment, but it's always there in the back of my mind and, and something that I would definitely be interested in doing if it seemed like it was the right thing at the right time. Yeah. Is there something that's out there as a goal for you that that you've set out there? Mm-hmm. And it's okay if the answer is no. I, you know, at Thoughtbot myself, I didn't I didn't have that for a long time. I was just trying to create the best thing possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the medium term, I really want Happy to be 
that one place that everybody is using for the under fives classes market in the UK. Mm-hmm. That is a very clear goal for me. Mm-hmm. When will you have to fundraise again? Uh, we, we will be doing it this year. It depends on how things go with our booking system, getting it up and running mm-hmm. and live and, and collecting those metrics. So, you know, we'll fundraise when we're ready. Mm-hmm. What do you think that next fundraising round will be? Will it be angels again or will it be from more institutional investors or VCs? Um, I haven't completely decided, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I think angel investment would be my priority. And, you know, we may consider doing crowdfunding. And I have I have met quite a few VCs through the Ignite program as well. Mm-hmm. And I just think I'm a little bit more cautious when it comes to VCs in the sense of you hear an awful lot of horror stories around mm-hmm. how that can go and just needing to be clear on the sorts of people you want to work with right. and making sure that you've spoken to other teams in their portfolio so that you know how they operate and whether or not it's going mm-hmm. to actually fit with your company. Right. You know, it could be as simple as going VC, you won't be able to simply just say, well, if it ends up in the UK, mm-hmm. and that, that's a exactly. success. Like exactly. that, that might not be okay. That would might hinder your ability to fundraise from those kinds of investors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you work from home now all the time. I do. Is that what you want to maintain even as you grow? Yeah. Or do you see yourself getting an office at some point? No, I, I think that we're in the 21st century and we've got all the technology at our disposal to make remote working work really well. And there are massive companies out there showing exactly how it can be done. Um, there is no reason to think that you should get an office, really. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly because... The types of people who've been attracted to work at Happity, they do tend to be at later stages of their life where remote working is a, is a massive benefit. So mm-hmm. I, I really think that it's in our interests to stay remote working and that it'll be key to getting the best talent on board. Is there anything you want to ask me? Well, I was quite interested because, you know, you were saying this, you know, ThoughtBot was you didn't have this grand plan for, for what mm-hmm. you expected it to be. So... What was the pathway that you, you foresaw for ThoughtBot? Because, you know, I've, I've read loads of your blogs, particularly coming through Makers Academy, which is very much uh, based on mm-hmm. Ruby and used your gems <laughs> in like every project. So, yeah, I'm in- interest, just interested to hear how you got started and where you, you, what you expected of it. Well, the main motivator for the longest time was just to be fulfilled in my work. Mm-hmm and to create great things. And part of being fulfilled was enjoying the environment I worked in and the people that I worked with and the clients that we worked with. And so the reason why I didn't have grand aspirations to be huge Mm -hmm. was because I didn't have good examples of companies that had grown beyond 20, 25 people and were ones that I would look at and say, that's what I want. That That is the kind of company that I want, particularly in the consulting agency mm-hmm. space. So it wasn't until we went a long time, nine years doing that, that we started to become discontent with just having less impact on the world than we wanted to. People wanted to live elsewhere, wanted to um, move, and we weren't set up to work remotely. 
And we really believed we had a better place to work and a better place to work with. And so trying to find a way to accommodate that was what initially caused us to grow. And the way that we did it was heavily influenced by wanting to have that same fulfilling environment of a close-knit group of people focused on a small set of customers doing great work in the way that we love to work. And so that was our strategy for growth, was replicating that in other places so people could live where they want to live, but work in the way that that we work with people. Yeah, I mean, I think that's incredibly important for anyone starting a company to, to have that vision of what kind of culture you want your business to be, because you know the worst thing is creating a company and then deciding you don't really want to work there. Yeah, that would be terrible. <laughs> and you know, I think that there are entrepreneurs who are business entrepreneurs and they've sought out a business opportunity and they plan on exiting. Mm. And so it doesn't really matter to them they're going to make the compromises they need to make to build the kind of business that they want to build to be able to then move on and have a successful exit. That was never part of our plan or my plan. The plan was always, there's no plan B. Mm -hmm. We're creating the company that we want to be able to work at forever. And I think when you set out that way, it heavily influences the choices you make, both you know short-term and long-term and how you approach things and I think when you set out with that purpose, it really helps you be more successful. Now, success means a lot of different things to a lot of people. And I think for those entrepreneurs who want to build something huge and flip it or those kinds of things, I don't think our metric of success Mm -hmm. is going to resonate with them. But that's okay. I don't do it for them. It doesn't sound like you do it for them you're doing it for yourself no exactly and i I, th- I think we've got an awful lot to prove because you would think the odds are st- stacked against me i've got two young children and i'm working hard but i still want to be around for them too so mm-hmm. i think we've done incredibly well to get to where we are already and i think that basically just think we've got we've got a bit of a point to prove really haven't we yeah yeah <laughs> well i wish you the best of luck if people want to uh, find happy and follow you online where can they do that the website's happity.co.uk and if you head over there there's also a jobs list you can subscribe to and find out when when it's recruiting we're also on social media as happy baby and i'm on twitter and linkedin as sarah Tateno. so look me up wonderful thank you so much thank you very much you can find show notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm slash 267 this podcast is brought to you by thoughtbot and produced and edited by tom obarski Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, Raleigh, and Washington, D.C., let's build something great together.